and welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters. I'm David Schuster, and in a moment, we'll be joined by Joe Colley of the Chicago Sun-Times. Joe, of course, the Chicago Bulls beat writer, and you can follow him on Twitter at Hoops. And we're brought to you by DraftKings. Round two, it's no joke. This is where we separate the pretenders from the contenders. Get some skin in the game with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. They're offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes each day. And the best part is that it's free to play. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Now, questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. And now we're bringing in Joe Colley, who covered the Bulls this past season. And Joe, we'll get into uh, specifics in just a moment. But in general, now that the season is three weeks almost behind us, what did you like from the Bulls? What did you not like? What did they do? What did they didn't do? Well, they didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> no, I, I look, it, there's, it's kind of double jeopardy the way you look at this season. You know, um, I think a message was sent by the front office at that trade deadline to around the league that they are, this is not your, your Gar Pax organization anymore. They are chasing wins. They are chasing being relevant again. Now, did they take a big swing and a slight miss in doing that? I mean, you can argue they did. You know, I even asked Arturis on the, on the, the season wrap-up day if he felt like that was a swing and miss if you just tunnel this season. And he kind of even alluded to the fact it was because they made that trade to make the playoffs this year. And obviously the future and the message it sends was is down the line. But the, the trade was made to be a playoff team this year. And that's why you mortgage a 21 first-round pick possibly unless you get lucky in the lottery. So, um and I, and I don't like the fact that they won meaningless games at the end. I, I know they were trying to chase this play-in game, but they, they had such a small percentage of getting it. Um, and I think they won, what, five games in the last couple weeks that moved them from 31% to 20% of getting that, that top four protected pick. I mean, that's a big – that's 11 percent is big. And when, when I look at this team and I say, okay, going into next year – don't love it. If the lottery works their way and all of a sudden they have that top four pick and can get a Jalen Suggs or a Kate Cunningham, preferably Jalen Suggs, I think he fits better with this group. Um, then I look at this team completely different. Then it, th- that what he did was genius, but he needs luck to get that accomplished. And so I don't love that look of it. I don't love that, the, that they are kind of not – trapped with this roster because you could always make trades but from a cap standpoint um it will be interesting to see what they do do they try and match lowry um you know so there's a lot of unquestioned 
uh, rocks that they have to turn over. And I don't even think they know what the plan is. He even said, we have a plan. We just don't, can't tell you the details of it because they don't really know what the, the landscape's going to look like. So um, a lot of unknowns. I think it was a big swing and miss. I do like the aggressiveness, the message it sends down the road. Um, but now it, it has to come to fruition. And, and that's the part we're in right now. All right. Obviously, it was a huge gamble, you know, but they did get an all-star center, which is not, you know, right. they, don't, they don't grow on vines, obviously. Yeah, but, here, so, but here's the one thing I'll say, Shu, and I even asked Vucevic this when they traded for him. You know, he was an all-star center in Orlando. They have Aaron Gordon. They have Fournier. Um, I mean, on paper, why wasn't that team better? So I'm concerned is – is that just, you know, okay, it's fine to roll out of bed and get your 20 and 10, but Kevin Love did that all the time, and it didn't mean anything in Minnesota. Um, now, obviously, there's another piece of this, Zach Levine, but can those two, does the chemistry work enough where they become a threat in the East? And that's my concern. So, yes, it, you, do, you did add an all-star, but you added an all-star that – I won't say underwhelmed, but did underachieve. And Vucevic even said, on paper, we probably should have been better in Orlando. But there were circumstances that happened, whether it was injuries and stuff. So um, that's my concern is how does it work out? Well, you're 100% right, and you're beating me to the punch on my next question. I, in fact, I think the best year team-wise they had in Orlando was 42 and 40. So they really never accomplished anything with all the points and, and, and uh, accolades that he had down there. And he had probably better teammates surrounding him at times also. But how can these two guys mesh? I mean, obviously, that was the idea from the front office standpoint. For these two guys, the pick and roll, screen and roll, whatever you want to call it, how do these two guys mesh in today's NBA? We saw a little bit of it at times. Unfortunately, Zach was injured or, or he had the COVID problem. But what do you think? Can they mesh together in the long run? Yeah, when you look at their skill set, you would think that they're perfectly made for each other because of the pick and roll, pick and pop. Um because of his three-point ability, Vucevic's three-point ability, and what Zach can do, um, you know, there's just a certain gravity that Vucevic brings to the floor where, where the, the defense has to sink to him even if he's outside of three-point line. That would then open up the rim for Zach to attack. Um, ideally, you would have loved that third guy, that knockdown three-point guy. You know, Kobe White showed it at times. Lowry showed it at times, but obviously not enough. Um, Daniel Tice showed it, and, and, and you, you, you need that third piece where, yeah, you're going to overplay us on pick and roll, and then we just got that kick guy for the three. Um, that was what Lowry was ideally supposed to do and really just for some reason never understood. So, yes, on paper, they should work out really well together when you look at their skill sets offensively. On paper, they need help defensively, those two. Um, neither of them are great defenders. Um, so, yeah, it should, I think, a full season, a full summer. I'll be anxious to see if they actually go and work with each other. You know, I think the one thing privately I heard from from the, the coaching staff is they were shocked with the, the mindset of the players that were here not to go and get extra work with fellow teammates. Yeah, they go and get their own shots up. But bringing guys in the gym with you and saying, hey, let's work on this, let's work on this. And Billy was shocked that that wasn't happening. And I think that was the old regime bubble wrapping players and not wanting guys to actually come in. And, you know, that was too Thibodeau to them to actually have guys come in and work on their craft. 
And so, um, you know, I, I think that that will help moving forward that Billy's got that mindset of, hey, you guys want to get better at pick and roll. Get your ass in the gym and work on pick and roll together on your own time. Work your craft. Practice your craft. Be a pro. So I think that was instilled in Zach this year. I'm anxious to see if that happens this offseason, if he invites guys out to L.A. or if he comes to Chicago more or, you know, if he invites them up, up to Seattle or, or however it works. I want to see somebody be a leader. And preferably it should be the guys that are the two faces of this organization. Um, it shouldn't be Thad. It shouldn't be Garrett Temple. It should be one of your all-stars, and, and that's what I'm anxious to see. Speaking of Zach, uh, I listen to every minute of, of, of those post-season uh, Zoom conferences, whatever you want to call them, and and uh, Zach pretty much backed up what you've been saying for a long time. He's going to try and get his. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, what What is the front office's uh, mindset as far as his contract? Because let's face it, money is a big deal here, how they're going to uh, shape this roster going forward. Yeah, um, so I, I, I'm anxious to see which version of the Zach storyline we're going to get because that was the storyline that, that not only did I report, but Casey Johnson reported at the beginning of the year that he was looking to get his – he wanted his money. And then about two months ago, maybe six weeks ago, I reported that there were some people around him that thought, yeah, he wants his money, but he also understands he needs more help to win. So – if he maxes this year, this offseason, and just does the extension part, you're still a max player. You still proved you are a max guy, but that max is way different. You're talking about 24, and then maybe I think it escalates up to 28 or 29 the final year of that four-year deal. Now you've done your due diligence by maxing yourself out and earning that title, but you haven't broken the bank with the organization where they could squeeze in some key role players. If he doesn't do that and he's looking for next season, if I'm the Bulls, I'm looking to move him. I just am. So um, I, I can't foresee 30-some million for Zach Levine a year. I just can't because the organizations that are doing that with one-way players, especially off guards, two guards, where are they going? I don't see any of them going anywhere. And this is the, this is not just a couple-year uh, footprint. This is multiple years of seeing guys like that just fail maybe you get them in the playoffs but that's it yeah i think your dog in the background says zach levine doesn't deserve 30 million either and i think your dog yeah. is right i may have to get him in the house <laughs> that's okay no problem it's a podcast uh anyway final grades uh, i loved your column i agreed to, i think on every one of them including the front office and we'll talk about that in a minute too you gave you gave zach and thad both a minuses and, and thad young was fantastic um I mean, obviously, the difference between Jim Boylan and Billy Donovan had a lot to do with this season. Um, but money is also going to determine what happens with him as well. So, you know, what do you think the future, near future is for Thad Young? Look, you can, if, if they feel like they can get Alonzo Ball, then yes, you, you probably want to clear Thad and Sato because it's not, you know, not all the money's guaranteed. I think you save. If you clear your decks and let everyone kind of go, I think they save like 31 million or something like that. If they, you know, marking in, don't match him. I mean, if they clean the, the, the payroll, um, they can go ahead and try doing that. But there's other teams that have a lot of money put aside because they thought this 21 free agent class was going to be historic. It's not. Everyone ended up re-upping. I mean, there are teams lining up for this two years ago. They were starting to get their payroll in order for 21. So you're going to have some guys – 
you know, that are, are, are going to get overpaid. Larry Markin is going to get overpaid. And it's just a matter of the Bulls want to match it. So I think they have to keep Thad. I don't know if they have to keep Sato if there's a, if there's a different move out there. Um, and I think you have to keep Thad just because I don't see that vocal leader. I think Zach's trying to become that, but I don't think he's that yet. And Vucevic, to me, is more of a uh, leader by action than, than by voice. Um, I think he talks to guys and says things, but um, I just don't see him as that rah, rah, rah type guy. So, yeah, I think you have to keep that unless you feel like you can definitely, you know, New Orleans is not going to match. There's no sign in trade. Um, and Lonzo has assured you that he's going to uh, take your offer over New York or whoever else is going to be in on him because there's some teams that got some money and some room. All right, you know, you mentioned Lowry. Um, it's tempting to say that he gambled and lost, but he didn't lose anything. He's going to get paid by somebody. Like, like somebody's going to, I mean, he's a 7 1 guy who can shoot from the outside. Someone's going to pay him a lot of there's money. Always, and there's always going to be that GM or that coach that says, oh, we can fix him. We can do better. We can do, you know, this. And, and again, Dallas, if you look at the footprints, I think Lowry loves the idea of playing with Luca and, and, and Porzingis, even though I think he and Porzingis are way too similar. Um, but also I think he needs to be, I don't know. I, I think Jim kind of ruined him and he just never – looked comfortable. I mean, you've been in that locker room. He doesn't have a lot in common with those guys, not because he's a Euro. I mean, he's married. He has a kid. Um, he just lives a different life. And so um, I just don't know how comfortable he feels with the Bulls. And he's not that guy that's going to go and grind out practice time by himself and get better and get better. And, and I think he is a guy who realizes, hey, I'm seven foot. I can play basketball. This is a good way to make a living. I don't think it's his passion. Okay, and you're beating me to the punch again. So obviously he's got motivation to make money. Who doesn't? But it doesn't seem like he's got that motivation to get to the next level of being a great player. He's Adam Dunn. <laughs> Adam Dunn was blessed with the ability to hit 500-foot home runs but would rather be in a, in a – in a deer house shooting, you know, animals and, and, and hunting and fishing. I mean, that was his passion. He was blessed with the skill set and took advantage of that. But I mean, that, that's kind of what Lowry reminds me of. He's blessed with a certain amount of skill set, but I don't think we'll ever see him in a bull's uniform better than he was in that February. I think it was 19 when he was, you know, 26 and, and 11 and look like, the unicorn that everyone was was grading him out to be. So are they do you think they renounce him at this point or does everything fall with what happens in the draft lottery? Does is is the Bulls future yes, start they, the draft they, yes, yes. They cannot they cannot I mean they've got scenarios, hey, if this happens, this happens, this happens, but they don't know their path until was it June 22nd is that lottery? Yeah. yeah. He, that's a huge night for them because to me like I said, if if they somehow win that, get that 20% in their favor and get in that top four, that changes everything because I think there are difference makers. And I know I've been touting Jalen Suggs' name for years because he beat my son's football team in eighth grade, an undefeated football team. So I've known his ability and seen him. You know, I'm up here in Minneapolis most of the offseason. 
And I know what he is. I know people that are close with him that have gone on recruiting trips with him, football to Ohio State, Alabama, when he was, you know, they were looking at him at quarterback. And I don't, there are just some kids that have it. They understand winning on multiple levels, multiple sports. He has it. And I don't think people understand that. They watch him and they go, yeah, he's good. You know, he was, yeah, he was good at Gonzaga. He hit that big shot in the NCAA tournament, obviously. And, you know, he gets his 14 and eight or is 18 and six, but they don't understand at every level, USA 16, USA 17, USA 18, just his impact on winning. And there's just some guys that have it. He has it. They land a kid like that. To me, that changes everything because now you got a defensive minded point guard that helps Zach out. You have a guy whose IQ is through the charts and you have a guy who is arguably already one of the toughest guys on the court. You know, that football background to me means something. And I think it means something to other coaches, too, that I've talked to about him. Um, He knows the difference between pain and injury, where a lot of NBA guys don't. And so Chicago needs a guy like that. They would instantly love a guy like that because I just think he would figure out his shoot. You know, shot isn't the, the, the greatest as far as form from the outside. It's good enough, but I think he would figure all that out. Now you're looking at a whole different path. Now I'm saying, okay, You've got the first wave of Vucevic and Zach for that, but now you've got a second wave for when your Brooklyn contracts run out in two years and your and your uh, your Boston team, you know, who knows what happens with them, and your Philly team might start breaking down. And Milwaukee, you don't know what's going to happen to them after those contracts in two years. You've got the second wave with Patrick Williams and Jalen Suggs. So I look at the Bulls completely different then. So, yeah. June 22nd is huge for this organization. All right, we can dream that as a fan, at least, that Suggs falls to them. And, yeah, I think he fits in like a glove. Uh, the guy who uh, played a lot of point guard minutes, and I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he's a coachable kid, Kobe White. I don't think there's any question about that. And he tried as hard as he can. I'm, g- I'm going to stick with what I said. He's just not a point guard. I think I think he can play 10 to 15 years in the league like Jamal Crawford or Vinnie Johnson, you know, and just score 20 off the bench in his 30 minutes. Am I wrong about that? And that's the way no, I- that's exactly what he is. He, he is. I, and I almost I I was surprised because I thought the way he looked when they first benched him, I thought, oh, they left him for dead. He just uh, he looked those first couple games off the bench. He looked awful. And I was like, oh, he's taking this demotion way too hard. But to his credit, he snapped it back when he became a starter again. I thought he played better, played well. But yeah, to me, his role in the NBA which he can do 10 to 12 more years is you're either giving me 12 minutes or you're giving me 28 minutes. And if you're hot, you're giving me the 28 minutes. And if you're not, you're giving me the 12 off the bench. I think that's what he is. So he's a key rotation guy. I'm not saying he's a bus pick by any means, but you know, and every team needs a guy like that. He is your microwave. He is your, you know, your, your, your hot or cold guy. So um, and he can still play some point. I think there is, you know, but he's just not in every possession especially I'm watching the playoffs and you just see the difference when you kind of reflect on the bull season, even the teams that are getting their, their butts handed to them, you see how different the playoffs is and how, how the bulls can be exposed so easily and kind of how far they really are away to be a contending team. That's what these playoffs have shown me. Um, when you look at those big three in the East, those three monsters and you watch them play when they're fully clicking they would kick the hell out of the Bulls if they were one of the playing teams. I mean, it, what, what, you know what I mean? So it, it just shows you 
that the fan base, our fan base, the, the Bulls fan base has fallen in love a little too much with what's there. Um, and to me, uh, you know, Zach's what his best game ever is 50 points and a loss. To me, that kind of sums up really Zach Levine right now. So that's what the playoffs have shown me of how far they are from being contenders. And, and I just don't know if it's here with this current roster. All right. You mentioned Patrick Williams uh, earlier. Uh, you know, if you take a look at his final numbers, you know, not bad. Nine and a half points, five rebounds, 28 minutes, you know, sh- shot around 50%. However, it's pretty obvious. He he just defers way too much. He's got the talent. Everybody knows that. Why, you know, and, and then and Thad Young was on him all season. Billy Donovan was on him all season. Everybody was on him all season. And he talked a good game in the Zoom press conferences, but he didn't do it on the court. Why, no. Joe? Why? I think when they made the trade and there was another all-star, I think he turtled a little bit. I think he shrank a little bit and thought, okay, well, now I'm a fourth option when I'm on the floor. And he shouldn't have had that mindset. He should have been the third leading scorer on that team when you look at his skill set. When he drives, guy, human, human, grown-ass men bounce off of him. He's 19, and grown-ass men are trying to body him and, 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 and falling off him like a tank. And I didn't understand his size until I think that first preseason game because we didn't have a chance to see him in camp. I mean, just to see his legs and his, you know, my uh, my son's twenty, and I look at it, it might as well be two. It might as well be two. It might as well be an alien, and a, and, a, and because it's not even the same people. And I and I go, oh my, you know, and he's nineteen, so, um, so. I was disappointed that I thought he digressed as the, as the, the year went on. I thought he shrank and turtled a bit um, when they added that all-star and, and he should have actually been better because Vucevic is such a willing passer on, on cuts and stuff like that. That was disappointing. And I don't like the way he always said, oh, I'm, I'm just playing, you know, the, the game the right way. No, no, you're not. You're not playing the game the right way. You're deferring too much. Totally. And that was always his excuse. I'm, I'm playing the game the right way. You know, that's how I was taught to play. No, that, that's not how you were taught to play. So. I, I, I'm just wondering, is that just his DNA? Because even in his one year at Florida State, he was the young player. He deferred to the seniors, the older players. And and here, you know, he's still the young kid, the youngest kid, by the way, on that roster. And I'm just wondering, is that part of his DNA? And is it going to take, I don't know what it's going to take, like a prod up his ass or something. No, I I would hope that my hope is this summer with training and then participating in the summer league in Vegas. Hopefully he goes there and understands, you know, if they don't get a first round pick, you know, he's going to have to try to dominate games. And hopefully he understands that and goes and dominates games. And, and look, summer league is, it's really hard to judge guys in summer league. And I would say probably most of the guys that have a great summer league, I mean, we remember about four or five years ago, Jimmer Fredette's summer league was ridiculous. So, I mean, you can't read too much into it, but there are guys that have come out of summer league and just taken off. So I'd probably say there's more failures with guys with big numbers out of summer league than take off just because the game is so different in summer league. But he can get some something out of summer league and a full off season of training where hopefully he comes in and his confidence and his swagger is at a completely different level. That's my hope. Um, because obviously he doesn't seem to be listening to teammates. And co- even when Billy sits down with him and runs film and says, you should have shot here, you should have shot here, you should have shot here. And he's like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. He still wasn't going out and doing it. So my hope is that uh, a year 
of being an actual NBA player instead of being thrown into an NBA uniform like he was right from the draft will do him wonders. So that's my hope, but no one knows. One guy I really liked that they did pick up at the deadline was Tice from Boston. I mean, certainly three upgrades over Luke Cornett goes without saying. But once again, money's going to dictate what happens with him also. I mean, and and he covered up for a lot of Vucevic's failings on the defensive end of the court, obviously. What do you think happens there? And again, is it strictly money? I, I, so if it's if it doesn't come down, if it comes down to very close money, that will tell me he is the indicator of should we believe in this thing? Because if it's close money or he goes somewhere for less, that tells me because, I mean, he had a time to assess this core. That tells me he doesn't believe in this core, especially on defensive end. So that will be his decision is huge. Um, now, if a team blows him away with ridiculous money, then all bets are off. But if it's close or less money and he goes somewhere else, message is sent that, hey, I was there for a while. I put my foot in the water, and this water's soft, and I'm not staying here. So that will be interesting. Keep an eye on that because I think that tells you the climate and the, and the temperature in that locker room and as far as the intestinal fortitude of, the, of that core group. Let me, let me ask you about a rumor that goes around. You know, there's a million rumors in the league, obviously. Bradley Beal, who obviously has, you know, a relationship with, with Billy from his college days, goes without saying. But he's going to cost, like, more than probably even Zach would cost. So, I mean, why does that rumor keep popping well, up? Well, I don't know. You're inheriting. You've, you've got to inherit $36 million, And then he's got a player option that's even more. So you've got, I mean, how are you going to match that money in a trade? I, I don't see how it could happen. So, I mean, that, you know, everyone, Bradley Bills, this piece that everyone, all the Lakers, Bradley, but how you can't get him for that amount of money. So I, I don't, I don't, I think Washington's kind of stuck. They're not going to get rid of Westbrook's contract at 42 million. You're not getting rid of that. No one's taking that. So you almost have to ride it out. It's like Houston with John Wall. You can't rebuild when you have a contract with a veteran guy. You're kind of stuck where you just got to try adding the right veteran pieces around it and, you know, hope they get hot like Washington did this year. Um, so the Bradley Beal thing, it's great. It's great on paper. He's a perfect He's a perfect player for a lot of organization. But how are you going to get it? For, how are you going to squeeze that money in? It's, good. it's really difficult to, to see a match that can squeeze that money in. Hey, Joe, if, if if they don't get lucky and get, you know, one of the top four picks, and, and I agree with you, you got to find a point guard somehow, some way. The guys that are available, that might be available. I mean, I love Mike Conley, but, you know, he, he gets injured a lot. And he's also going to cost you a ton of money. Lowry, probably the same thing. I mean, you know, do you, do you want to reach for a Derrick Rose? I don't see that happening. So what are their other options if they – and they do need a point guard. There's no question. Well, I, I think if they clear space, you can you can say that they are making a bid for Lonzo Ball. So that that that's the one thing to keep an eye on if they're if they're clearing Sato out. And then we don't know, we know what Mike Conley's numbers were his his money numbers were previously, but we don't know what his value is right now. You know what I mean? That that's going to be interesting. And here's the problem: there's a couple other teams looking for point guards. And they have a lot of free cap. The New York Knicks have a lot of free cap. Um, they have the best cap situation. I think they're only $46 million guaranteed. I mean, that's as good as it gets. So 
and you know they're going to probably up John Randall or try to, and 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 like you know that's the Zach situation. Do you max Randall this year for less, or does he hold out and try maxing you know and bet on himself for next year? Um, so there's going to be other players in this, but yeah, we don't know Conley's number. I think Lowry's going to be expensive. I think there's people that still value him. Conley's the interesting one. I mean, will age scare people away? And yeah, he's the perfect fit because he's, you know, he gets hurt, but when he's playing impacts winning and he plays great defense at his age. So that, that I think makes life easier for Zach Levine. Uh, he, he knows when he has to score 20 and when he has to have 16 assists. And, you know, so that's key for the, for this offense, for those two, you know, Vukovic and, 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 and Zach. So, yeah, I, I think that they're going to kick the tires on everybody because we don't know the prices or the value of what these guys want at this point. All right, one more question on the Bulls, and then I just a couple real quick ones on the league itself. Unfortunately for everybody in, in broadcast and, and print medium, it was all Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. And, and though uh, Billy Donovan, and, and Donovan was really gracious with his time via Zooms, and, and I think was pretty damn honest. Karnishevis, you know, you only heard from him a couple of times. He was on a first-name basis with you and all the other guys as well. But do you really know him? I mean, until you really – you know, I'm glad you said that because until you really look at somebody's eyes, eyeball to eyeball, you really don't know what they're all about. And he was pretty close to the vest as, as a guy in his position should be, but we really don't know what he's all about, do we? No, and it, I will say this. His players admittedly have a very good dialogue, but they – they have no idea what his plans are. You had veterans say, "This dude, you talk about top secret." He's kind of like a like an agent in in a in a like some kind of secret agent in like a in a James Bond movie. I mean, that's what he reminds me of, and not because he's got that Euro accent. He just the way he is very deliberate in the way he speaks. His his opening statement, his written statement, um, and he he listens to all of our questions you know he got intel on all the reporters kind of what they're about um what kind of you know the writing style what you know who likes to do this and this so he knows us way better than we know him <laughs> and and that's always been the the reputation it is great guy but keeps very very tight-lipped um there aren't a lot of leaks out of that front office so um no, we don't really know him, and that's one of the things I'm looking forward to is, you know, lots of times these front office guys, they'll, on the, whether it's on the road or in the preseason, they'll, the beat writers, they'll grab us either one-on-one -on -one and, you know, go grab coffee just to kind of get a feel of what you're about and, and, and so you have an understanding of the relationship. And, um, and maybe he doesn't do that. I have no idea. You know, some have done it, some haven't. Um, so that would be interesting. And Billy Donovan, I will say this, I mean – I know we joke that some of his answers get very long-winded, but that's because this dude wants to make sure we have as much detail as we can have. He wants everything explained. I think he's very transparent for the most part. He's got a little Fred Hoiberg in him when it comes to political-type things, and not politics, but political-type things that could shake the league if he says something. He dances around it or just kind of plays, you know, I have no idea. That's not my, you know, so um, – but I, I do like him a lot. I think he's. I think he is that second tier of really good coaches. To me, there's those five or six elite coaches that impact the game the most. Then there's that second tier of probably five to six more. Then you got a third class of just a bunch of guys 
And then you got three or four horseshit coaches every year. So, I mean, that's to me, that's the NBA every year. That's just how it breaks down. But I think Billy's definitely in that second tier and it's his job to, to prove that he could be in that first tier. And so, um, you know, that's, that's his, his mission. So. Well, there's no question. He was a, uh, a major upgrade from the former guy preceding him. There's no question about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. A, a couple of things about the league. Um, this midseason tournament that they're talking about, I, I just I don't understand it. Help me out. I, I, I don't get it. I don't look. I don't think people understand it, the the toll the bubble took on guys. For people to think that bubble was easy is is a joke. For people to to put asterisks next to Miami versus the Lakers in that finals as somehow bubble caused is an absolute joke because we're actually seeing the NBA season play out like it did in the bubble. You know, Phoenix got hot in December of last year, played well going into the bubble, and then they had Chris Paul in the offseason. So what do you think was going to happen? You know what I mean? The Lakers in Miami, I thought it was such a grind that you're and such a quick turnaround that you saw that in their seasons. You saw teams that just looked tired and just didn't look right at times. And obviously there were injuries involved and stuff. But I thought that bubble really grinded guys out. And to now think about next season, which I, you know, they haven't made it official, but I think they're going to keep the play-in thing. I just think they are. I think they like that. I think it takes um, tanking a bit out besides the lottery, the changing of the lottery, the play-in kind of keeps Tim's interested too. So I think they're going to keep that. But to add some kind of mid-season tournament, there's some guys that really be like, I don't care how much money you could win. What do I care? You know what I mean? I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah. It would break up some monotony, but at what cost? I just think you have an entirely tired league right now, based on the last two years of COVID and the team that gets to the finals this year and wins, it will have a normal off season seemingly. So why don't we just get back to some normalcy instead of now tinkering with some midseason tournament where guys got to grind for three or four days to try and win some, you know, whatever the cash prize is. And I, I just I just think it's just too soon with everything that's gone on. Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, all right. Last question here. Um, the, the title this year, it's always a stars players league and, and, and Brooklyn's got three of them. And, and, and I just don't see anybody, if all three of these guys are finally healthy and they did the right thing by resting them the times that they did during the season, if they're, they're all healthy, they're going to win the NBA title to me. Yeah, I mean, and I'm watching the way Durant's playing defense too. I mean, that's one of those flip-the-switch guys. I mean, he's just flipping the switch and, and playing. You know, I mean, he's historically just a monster in, in this time of year and in, in postseason. So – I don't, I, they're the three weirdest superstars probably ever put together. I mean, I mean, one, one doesn't even think he's a basketball player. He thinks he's an artist. Durant's as sensitive as it comes. And Hard, when Harden's the most normal guy on your team, that tells me your team's got some messed up cats. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it, it is a bizarre collection of, of mutant players. But when they're clicking, good freaking luck. I mean, they can devour you and take your souls in so many ways. And it, whether it's the Lakers or Clippers or one of these other team, up-and-coming teams, which I don't see, Utah or Phoenix, 
I, I, just, I when those three are clicking, it's just, it just, you know, it's just, it's too much. And, and that's something the bulls have to look at because this is not a one year thing. These dudes are locked in for a couple of years and they all have player options. So um, they dictate how long that Brooklyn thing goes. And so if that's the mountain you got to climb, good luck. Hey, I appreciate everything here, Joe, talking about the Bulls and the league, and, and I hope to see you somewhere soon. That's all, all I right, can shoot. Anytime, buddy.